Well, it's a great joy to be here this morning. Um, I come from Lee Street. Not very far, is it? Um, you guess from my accent, I'm not from these parts. I actually come from Bolton. It's been quite well known in the news recently. Not for a good reason either. The football club went into administration almost, but we're surviving. I don't think we'll, we, we, we could be playing Crawley next season, I'm sure, because uh, I think we're not going to get out of Division 1. Um, I came to live in this area about 10 years ago, but I actually, I didn't come from Bolton. I came from Japan, because we spent over 30 years in Japan uh, serving as missionaries. And uh, you know the Japanese are very kind, very polite. You know, they don't say anything about my Bolton accent. In fact, uh, I also taught in schools and universities. And uh, they actually thought that I spoke the Queen's English. Now, I didn't tell them where I came from. But uh, what a joy it was to be there. Uh, and to spend that time in Japan serving God. It's a real thrill, too, to come back to this area, and I'm still involved with Japanese churches in the London area. And it's a real joy to do that. So, it's really good. Now, the subject, of course, today is um, true and proper worship. Now, how important is worship? How important is it? Well, it's actually a priority. When I was studying this passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it goes over seven basic characteristics of the Christian life. If you want to live a fruitful and victorious Christian life, you've got to know something of these seven qualities. But as I thought of them, Right in the middle at number four comes worship. Right in the middle. And I thought, hmm, there must be something in there. And I just realized as I thought about this that worship was actually the hub of the Christian life. You get a wheel and you have a hub. And you get the spokes going out. Take the hub away and the thing collapses. And I thought, yeah. If my worship is wrong, my Christian life will be wrong. If my worship is weak, my Christian life will be weak. If it's living and vital, then my Christian life will be vital. It's the hub. It's the centre of my Christian life. My worship of God is absolutely central to my Christian life. And so, it's really the barometer. How you worship determines what kind of Christian life you'll be leading. Well, how do we know that it's a priority? Well, Worship was a priority for Israel after they were delivered from Egypt. 
So that when God says, sends Moses to Pharaoh, he says, now I want you to tell Pharaoh these words. He says, let my son go so that they may worship me. So the nation of Israel was set free for one reason. To worship God. It wasn't to do their own thing. It was to worship God. You and I were set free and saved to worship God. We weren't saved just to go to heaven. We weren't saved just to escape hell. We were saved to worship God. And that's, that's really why it's such a priority. It's really important that we see this. Because so often... Uh, we think of salvation as something that's sometimes in the future. Oh, I'm waiting to get to heaven. But God wants, the moment I'm saved, I'm set free, he says, I want you to worship me. It's also seen as a priority in relation to Jesus. You remember, the devil came to tempt him. And it says he's shown him all the kingdoms of the world with their splendor. And he says to Jesus, he says, all this will I give you if you will bow down and worship me. Now that's some temptation. All the world and all its splendor. And uh, this is what Jesus says. He says, away from me, Satan. In the message it says, beat it, Satan. And he says, doesn't he? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. As the devil brought this attraction to him, it couldn't compare with worshipping God. It just couldn't compare. You see, that particular question, it really touched a nerve in Jesus. And that's why he says, get away. My focus and my goal is to worship God. You know, Jesus didn't worship God to get anything from him. He, he worshipped him to give glory to him. You see, what, he was, what Satan was trying to do is, if you worship me, I'll give you this. Jesus worshipped God not to get anything, but to give Glory to God. You know, if we don't realize this, when the suffering comes and the trials come, and we think, well, what's God, where is God in all this? And why is he letting me in this situation? You see, even in those situations, he's still God. He's still God. And he's still worthy to be worshipped. And you know, Job says it so beautifully, doesn't he? When he's lost his family, he's lost all, some of his farms, his business and everything. And he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. But he doesn't stop there. He says, may the name of the Lord be praised. You see, We've got to get all this idea that God just himself is worthy of worship 
whether he does anything or whether he doesn't do anything, he's God and he's worthy of worship. You see, we're saved first to worship God and then to serve him. Really, service should be like a fountain springing from worship. True worship isn't worship without service. If you really worship God, you'll serve him too. It's not just kind of getting into a holy huddle and, um, you know, and kind of enjoying the worship and just doing that. No, you'll get out to serve because that's what it is. And our worship should motivate us to serve. But we've got to get the right balance. Sometimes it's easier to serve than worship. And we get so active in service, doing things, we forget to worship. Forget to worship. And sometimes that's a sad thing. Because God wants our fellowship, our communion. He wants our worship, not just our service. And sometimes when we forget the worship, our service is not as ineffective as it should be. If worship is such a priority, we need to know what it really is. We need to know what it is, if it's so important. Because sometimes we can have all kinds of different ideas. And when we come to the definition of worship, you see, I remember there was a wayside pulpit many years ago and it said, divine worship is held on Sundays, 10.30 to 11.30. So according to this particular church, worship was one hour a week. One hour a week. Sadly, many Christian believers believe the same. And they act in the same way. Coming to church on Sunday, singing hymns, worship songs, praying, listening to God's word, that's worship. I leave the place and I wait till next Sunday comes. That is a real temptation that we all face. You see, true worship isn't just giving God an hour on Sunday. It's giving him 24-7, seven days a week. A lady above her kitchen, she has this particular notice. Divine service is offered here three times a day. Mm. Brings it right into the thing. Worship isn't just for Sunday. You're getting near to Christmas. And you're going to see this advert. A dog isn't just for Christmas. Worship isn't just for Sunday. And we really need to get hold of that because it really is important. It's not giving God a part of my life, but my whole life. Present your bodies. And that means lock, stock and barrel. And so this is why it's good to get a definition so that we can get focused. Good to get a definition. Now, how about this definition from Facebook? 
I think this is fantastic. Worship is to put someone first. I just want to change one word. Worship is to put God first. That's it. That's it. Just one word. And that's the essence of the Christian life. You see, the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian is simply that. A non-Christian, self is first. A Christian, God is first. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And um, when we become Christians, again, that's another reason why we're becoming Christians. We become Christians to put God first. You know, people think living life to the full is putting yourself first. That's the devil's lie. God says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, your food, your clothing, everything else, it comes with God. That's why it's good to be a Christian. You get to really to the point where you realize what you're made for when you become a Christian. When God's at the center, you've got purpose and satisfaction, peace and joy, love and freedom, and problems, trials, suffering. But God brings you through those things, and he's with you. But man says, no, I'm going to put myself at the center. And so what he does... He gets money, he gets a job, he has success, he's got family, he's got health, friends, hobbies, travel. Boy, it's great. But yet life isn't complete. There's still something missing. Like a jigsaw. It's got the missing piece. And of course that missing piece is God. When you come to know Jesus, your life becomes whole and full. True worship is when you love God so much that you don't question him at all. That's what Job did. Although later on he had some problems as he thought about this. So worship is an activity of glorifying God in the presence of voices and hearts. That's one particular definition. And we have this verse, you see. We were created... To worship and glorify God. It says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. I was created to worship and glorify God. Now, that's not an afterthought. I don't really believe that God just wants me to serve him After I get saved, his real intention was the moment I was born, I was made for worship. And I was made to glorify his name because he created us. And also, not only that, he actually sustains us. Our very being is really his doing and so on. Every day is a gift from God. And... uh, My breath is in his hands. And he sustains me with food and water, clothes, family, all kinds of things. He's also worthy to be praised, not because he created me, but because he redeemed me. And he sent his son to die on the cross that I might really know him.
When I worship and glorify God, I fulfill what I was made for. What I was made for. You know, that's satisfaction. When you discover the purpose for which you're made and you fulfill it. When I get a spoon and I dig it into my cornflakes, that spoon says, oh, I'm happy. Because that's what the spoon was made for. So I could eat. And it's the same with God. You see, worship, the desire to worship and the need for worship is inherent in every religion. There's a sense where there's someone or something bigger than me. And that's part of our nature. That's part of our DNA that God has put in. The sad thing is, idolatry is putting something in the place of God. That's all it is. And we might think, oh yeah, you've got the God of Baal, you've got a Japan, you've got Shintoism, you've got all these kind of idols and stuff. Come to this country, money, job, business, just the same. Anything that's a substitute for God. Pascal said there's a vacuum in every life that only God can fill. And so that's why it really is important. And so... When we think of the priority, and uh, it really is a big priority, and we need to realize what's true and false. You see, there's also a problem in relation to uh, false worship. You see, we're talking about true worship. If there's true worship... There's false worship. And Paul's not talking about idols. He's talking about when Christians come to worship. It's possible to think that you're worshipping God, but you're not. And what are the characteristics of false worship? And Jesus pointed them out. These were people who were worshipping God and they thought they were doing good, but the worship wasn't accepted. And there are three things he points out that makes our worship false and unacceptable. Number one, it's lip service. Worship with no worship from the heart. And he said to these people, to the religious leaders, he said, these people honour me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. They were saying and singing the right things, but it wasn't from the heart. God not only hears our words, he sees our hearts. And true worship comes from the heart. Christianity is a heart religion. We believe in our hearts, in Jesus. We pray from our hearts. We're to love God with all our hearts and our souls and our mind. It's so easy, even ourselves, to just go through the motions. We're all guilty of it. It's so tempting. We can sing these fantastic songs. And our hearts can be not with it. We're just singing the words. So that's a real danger. True worship must come from the heart 
as well as from the mouth. Another reason why there was false worship, it's a worship with a disobedient heart. Jesus said, they worship me in vain, their teachings are but the rules of men. In other words, in their hearts, they rejected God's word and they wanted to do it their own way. And so the reason was, they just put the, the commandments of God on one side. And so if I'm living in the disobedience, God can't accept my worship. I've got to be living in a way that honors God. It's so important. Remember David, he, he, went, he went to bring the, the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. That was a great occasion. And so off he did, he brings it, gets a new cart, puts it on the cart, and there they are bringing it to the kind of Jerusalem. And the cart stumbles, and the ark goes over, and one man puts his hand to stop. Straight away, he dies. Oh, boy, that was a shock for David. But then he began to think. Three months later, he brings it back, and it's full of joy, he's praising God, he's dancing. The difference was, the second time, he did it the way God told him to do it. And that was carrying the ark on the shoulders of the Levites. That's why our obedience also is very important. And then another thing is very important. Sometimes our Our worship is man-centered, it's not God-centered. Jesus says to them, he says, Be careful that you do your acts of righteousness. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. In Matthew 6, he talks about three kinds of worship. Giving, praying, fasting. But each time, he says, they did it just to be seen of men. It wasn't, they weren't seeking God's glory at all. They were, they were using God to get attention to themselves. Anyone, as I'm preaching, if you're leading music, if you're an elder, if you're, if you're in the public view, we need to be careful. To use God to get attention to ourselves. I remember a very well-known evangelist in Japan. And he said, I pray this prayer every day. God, keep me humble. Because he realized the moment he stepped out of that, he's finished. As far as God's concerned. And so that was really, really important. So now we come to the characteristics of true worship. And I want to read a passage because this is really the model of true worship. And it's Mark's Gospel, and it's chapter 14. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She brought the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of them present were saying indignantly to another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? 
she has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will have, you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Why do I say this is a model worship? Because Jesus sanctions it. He commends it. This is the only woman where he says, you'll always remember Mary, because it was Mary. You'll never forget this incident, because this is a model of worship. And he would teach us to it, to teach us something from it. What's the real crux of worship, the real center? It's giving joy to Jesus. Simple, giving joy to Jesus. He says, she's done a wonderful thing to me. She's done something significant for me. As we've been singing, it's all about Jesus. And that's the purpose of real worship. As far as Mary is concerned, there was only one person in the house, and that was Jesus. It wasn't about herself. It wasn't about the people around. And it wasn't about the surroundings. She wasn't trying to get glory for herself. She didn't worry about the people. She, because actually they were very hostile, critical. It wasn't in a temple. It was in a un, out of comfort zone, if you like. But she was just focused on Jesus. It didn't matter. You know, sometimes when we worship, we're concerned about what the people think of us. Should I raise my hand? these are sometimes that kind of hold us back the surroundings we've had lovely music yeah no music here no beautiful building bare an audience of real bitter people and yet she worshipped God it doesn't matter about the circumstances this is true worship Because Jesus was right at the center. She was oblivious to everything else, the people and what was going on around her. It was silent. You can worship God without opening your mouth. You know, have you ever had times, maybe I've had it sometimes, where I'm lost for words. And God just overwhelms me. And I just can't say anything. That's part of worship. And also, it was untraditional. Very unusual. In fact, it was quite uh, rude. Because what she did, as it says in another portion, she actually kind of wiped his feet with her hair. Now in those days, for a respectable woman to do that in public was terrible. The prostitute could do it, that's fine. But not a woman like this. And so she was, doesn't matter. Jesus is, I just want to worship him. And then, of course, there was emotion. Boy, she was really over the top. Over the top. Disgusting, disgusting. 
David, when he danced, you remember his wife, she criticized him and so on. It was extravagant. In that brief moment, she used a year's wages. Now, I'm a real bit of a miser, you know? I really can't, in Japanese, say catchy. In other words, you know, I'm careful with the money. And sometimes, but here's a woman, just in a matter of a short time, she spends a year's wages on Jesus. And Jesus says she did a beautiful thing. His value is quite different from man's. She offered the best she could at the right time. She did what she could. She gave the best of what she had. And the timing was important. Because Jesus said, you know, the pool you'll have with you always, but you won't always have me. And within a, within a few days, actually, he was dead and he was on the, he'd been on the cross and that was it. She got hold of the opportunity. She realized it was no or never. And in sense, she got there before they did the kind of embalming for the burial and so on. When's the best time to worship? No. Come, no. Why? I may not have after. You may not be here next Sunday. I may not be here. No is the time to worship. And she really made it. And she got the opportunity. I wonder, is our worship true and proper? There was a young student, and he went to a meeting. And uh, it came round for the offering. Oh, and he got no money. Felt a bit embarrassed. What should I do? Anyhow, he got a piece of paper out and he wrote on, on this piece of paper and he, I offer myself. And he put it in the offering box. I offer myself. He said, well, that wasn't so great, was it? Well, he really meant it. And one or two years down the line, he went to Bible school and he became a missionary. And he served God. Because he offered himself. You know, when you offer yourself, it doesn't mean to say God's going to call you to be a missionary. But the point is, in offering yourself, you're also avail- you're giving God the opportunity to say, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. In other words, the will of God is the most important thing. And this is one of the, the results of true worship. And so as we're thinking this morning of true and proper worship, may God help us, dear young those who, like Mary, you know, gave her all. And it thrilled the heart of Jesus. That really is the secret of true and proper worship.